How's it going, everybody? This is Andy Morales, and welcome to episode number four of Unraveled Influence Season 8. My guest is Jennifer Fox, who's also the author of My West. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. So I always ask everybody these questions, and I'm, you know, you're no different, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so how did poetry and writing start for you? Wow. So um, I, I think I was one of those people who um, was always into books and writing and started writing poetry when I was in high school as a way to express sort of the uh, deep and um, tornadic uh, field of emotions that were inside of me. And um, so um, that's really how I dealt with all the feelings I had. I, I just was, I'm one of those people who was born with lots of uh, juice inside. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, would you like to talk to me more about that? That's interesting. Sure. So um, my family is um, educated. And so, you know, we had a lot of books in our house and it was um, reading was something that was always encouraged with me. And um, I, I really liked it. I liked words. I liked um, I liked I did well in my classes in, in literature. And so I learned a lot of poetry by reading a lot of poetry growing up. So, you know, early into Frank O'Hara and um, um, I, I wasn't very much into the sort of pre-modern poets poets so emily dickinson might have caught my eye um you know i didn't get into those big heavy hitters until i went to graduate school but i um i, I read a lot of poetry um elizabeth bishop um a lot of women poets who who spoke you know just sort of took the thing that she was feeling and seeing and made it just so compact and and beautiful and so i I would write, I would love poetry to read and write it. And honestly, I think one of the things when I got to college and I studied uh, literature and I, I read a lot of poetry in college and a lot of plays was because they were short. Mm, <laughs> and okay. <laughs> I could get through a lot of it real easily. So, um, so yeah, I did. Um, I went to college and was an English major. I taught English to students for um, about, 10 years um before i you know became a school head um which i did and i just always had a notebook with me and everything i saw i wrote and um i i would get a line in my head like right before going to bed or right when i woke up and would write it down and um, eventually i'd have all these thoughts and i would just put them together and make a poem wow so yeah i think i think some of us just are um born with talents and interests that we um gravitate toward and they make us feel good and and poetry is one of them i mean even the books i when i go to a bookstore i love to be in the poetry section it's small and compact and the books are always really beautiful i mean they're like so artfully done and so i i love poetry books too <laughs> Wow. So, okay, because you mentioned a lot of interesting names here, too. So I wanted to ask you, so I'm going to just jump right to this question. Um, 
what was it about their writing that fascinated you? Like, was it the words? Was it their expression? Was it the way they they expressed their sentences? Like, talk, walk me through that. Like, how did that look like for you? And then when you wrote your first poem, like, what was going through your mind? So, um, what I love, when I, when I get a poem that I read that I feel like, oh, this is wonderful. It, it's that they have said in the fewest words, in the most eloquent way, something that I have seen or heard, and they have said it in such a way that no one else has ever put it before. And it's exactly right. So it's, that's what I love. That's what makes poetry great to me is when someone says something, I've not ever heard it that way before, but there's something about it that just makes it perfect. And um, so I think Billy Collins is, is you know, he's, he's pretty traditional in terms of his popularity and all that, but he, he tends to do some of that, just make it perfect. Um, and then I, I I also like it when poetry poetry really turns me on when it brings two things that don't seem two disparate ideas together and, and makes a perfect union of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I I really like that as well. And so um, and and then I really like recently a lot of poets are really working with form in different ways. And, um, you know, spoken poetry is great, but I, I really enjoy page because the page and the, and the spaces and the ink and the, you know, that to me is all an art in and of itself that, mm. that I feel is lost in just spoken word. Mm. Um, so I, I really um, resonate with the, the, you know, the visual of it on, on a page. Wow, you, you know, okay. Yeah, you have something else too, but I kind of forgot what it was. Oh, oh, yeah. So the, my second question was, when you grabbed that piece of paper and wrote your first <laughs> poem, right? What was going through your mind? How did you feel? G- give me, give me the whole shebang. <laughs> I remember the poem I wrote. I, I don't know the first one, but I remember a poem I wrote in high school, and it was two lines, and it was, "Hey, mama." I like your hands. They're tough. Oh, wow. But see, but look, even that right there could go in so many directions now with that one. <laughs> so that poem I wrote in high school on my notebook. And I kept, I just always liked that poem and just kept it. And it was so short and simple. And it, it spoke to me about this, about this teacher that I was having an encounter with. But yeah. Mm. Okay, and I want to ask you about like these um, poetry formats because you have brought it up now. Um, so, would you consider that just a regular poem, or do you consider it as a micro poem? Like, do you? Because I know there's some people who don't like these terms. Like one of them, like like micro poetry. Like, do you believe that's real poetry, or do you think that's just a poem, or do you think that's just too li- like like oh, how, what does that look like for you? But no, I just wanted your opinion on that. Well, I think that um, so I'm. I'm I'm really trained, right? So in literature, I, I went to uh, one of the best literature schools in the country, the Bradlove School of English. And so I'm a bit snobby, I have to say, about what makes poetry and what doesn't. And I taught poetry to students mm. for years who struggled with it so much. And this idea that 
it's whatever you want it to mean. I just can't buy into it, right? Because people work very hard to give meaning to something. And if you don't understand it, it just doesn't mean that you can just make it whatever you want. But mm. as far as micro poetry goes, you know, I, I think that um, it, it depends. If it's if it's great, it's great. If it's if it's just lines and you could do more with it, then that will reveal itself in the lack of of uh, message, right? The reader will the reader will know. Like the writer can't define what poetry is as much as the reader, the relationship between the reader and the writer is is really where the definition lies, I think. Oh, that's good. I like, wow, okay. The relationship between the writer and the reader and then the, wow, that's okay. Wow, okay, wow. That really, you just like, you can't, okay, you actually just left me speechless right now because I'm, Yo, that is deep. Wow. I've never really. I mean, that's that what before. makes it. That's what makes a poem work. If 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 what I'm do, trying to do as a writer and what my intention is, is received and understood by the reader and the reader is likes that, then that relationship is established and that poem works. If as a writer, as if, if as a writer, I'm thinking, oh, it's all about all these things, but my reader never picks that up and I. I don't have that relationship and I fail as a poet. I could say to the end of, you know, the day, no, no, it's this, it means this, but if they don't get it, it they don't get it. And same with the reverse. If the reader doesn't understand, you know, what's being said and other people do and they miss out, then that relationship isn't established either. So really good poetry is what connects both of those groups. So um, I wanted to ask you about poetry because that's a very interesting thing, right? Um, I've had conversations with other poets in the past as well about just just format. Like, talk to me about formats, right? Because I know there's haikus, there's 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 the sonnets, there's uh, oh my god, what was the other one? I just learned another one recently. Uh, con contra contra uh, kator kator can't. Oh, I forgot the name. Canto a canto. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. There's all these things, and then there's also the see. Because when I was growing up, or at least when I was in school, I was always taught that poetry should be written in a stanza, kind of like a couple of lines, whatever. A stanza, you know, space and all this other stuff. I just wanted your input on that because that's pretty interesting. You did talk about pages too earlier, and I wanted I wanted to elaborate more on that because that was a pretty interesting point that you make. Yeah, so I I feel like you know. Poetry, like any art, has is evolving, and so what used to be a, a rule has is now a, a guideline. And um, these forms exist, and they're great. But if people aren't, they don't taste good to people anymore. Then then there's not a use for them. But you know, there's there's some great things that people. Um, so there's new new ways of expressing. Uh, written poetry that 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 is being um, put forward that's coming out. There's a um, there's this really great great book by a recent poetry book. I don't know if you know it by a poet named Diane Seuss, and that's she not, wrote that this, sounds familiar. Okay, so she wrote this book called Frank Sonnets, and the whole book are are these sonnets, but they're not traditional sonnets. They're her a way that she's taken that form and made it uh, made it her own. And she's also made a novel length book about this guy's life and every page is is in this form. And it's because of the form, like she could have just written a novel about the guy's life, but she makes it so much more artful 
by putting it into this format that's um, really thoughtful and it, it, it adds a lot more meaning to the poetry. And um, she, um, so, so yeah, I think that form is, it's, it's hard, you know, it's a little more difficult. And so I think the people who really can master a form in a way that doesn't feel forced, that the poem feels like you don't really hardly even notice the form, but there it is. That's brilliant to me. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that because that's something so different too. And like, let's say like Sonnets was always a certain way, but now there's somebody that's pretty much innovating it a little bit different now. Like, oh wait, this is different from a novel, but in a sonnet form. Like, that's pretty interesting. And um, yeah, that's um, that's very very interesting. And as I say, I call it what people call it game changer. I guess you can say. <laughs> but yeah, um. Uh, hold on, give me one second, because I had a thought, and but I didn't because I was so fascinated with what you said, I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, you know, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. So the next question I wanted to ask was about your book, My West, right? So talk to me about the why did you call it My West, the cover art and everything, like how the inspiration came about. Like, talk, walk me through that. How did that look like for you? Um, so I, um, I ended up moving, I've lived all over the world, all over the country. I've lived in like 20 states and two countries. And, um, I really needed a home and where I was going to just sort of settle down. My job is what took me all over the place. I was, uh, I made built schools and turned schools around that were failing. And so I would go to a lot of different schools and live there while I did the job. And wow. so... When I when I decided, well, I really need a, a home base where when this is over, I can go and do something different. And so um, I chose Taos, New Mexico. It's a very artsy community. It's a small community where, you know, you can know people wherever you go. It's beautiful. There's great mountains, canyons, lots to do outside and a um, lot of good um, art here. And so when I came here the various times to visit to make the decision to be here there's something really magical here um it it if it gets if you pick if you get it you get it right and it's like it's very emotionally beautiful and scenically beautiful and it just tapped into something really deep inside me and i knew it was going to be home for me and so those poems are really about that place and what it meant to me to find a home. Um, and it's about the, the losses I suffered in getting to this place of feeling as though I found, um, um, I found, a, I found my tribe and my, and my place. So um, those poems were written really as I was coming into discovering Taos as a home and then once I got here. And um, so the one thing is all the poems show, not all of them, but most of them are describing the beauty of the nature and then how that nature, uh, the mountains, the canyons, the sunsets, the those things, how those things really helped me to find healing in various losses that I've had in my life and um, various struggles I've had. And so while those uh, the things in my life healed and I grew. 
that landscape remained the same and the real backbone for me. So mm. some people have in their lives, you know, a, a parent or a grandparent or a friend who's there or, a, you know, a partner, a, um, a lover who's their rock, who's the, the, you know, who the person they lean on. And I didn't have that. And so what I had was this landscape that I feel is really mine. You know, it's my West. And that's, that's my, that the West is my touchstone. Wow. Wow. That is fun. Wow. And that's, and that's beautiful. That really is a beautiful thing, right? Because um, I was having a conversation with another poet on, a, on the previous episode. And um, one of the main things that was pointed out was the fact that, you know, um, home is what you make it. You know, home is a feeling, not a, not a place, I guess, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is what your feelings were. Like, this is your home, right? Because I feel like, um, but like, but I also feel like home is, is what you, um, what you make it right. Like, is I, I don't believe ever home is the four walls of your home. Rather it's, it's the, it's the, it's where you're most comfortable at, right? Whether it's, that's in, right. Right. It's, it's where you find the most peace, you know, like, like, for example, sometimes, um, like I'm like I feel I feel at home when I'm with my wife and my son. Like whether we live in a one bedroom apartment or a three bedroom apartment or even if we lived in a box, but they're my home, right? And then you know I, I'm a born again Christian, so I feel like Jesus is the foundation that keeps us together type thing. Because without him, I don't feel like we could really manage the way we would have, you know, without him. If if that makes sense. And um, like in your case, that's why you called it my West, and I think that's awesome. Um. Yeah, because you, you talk about the art and stuff like that. Um, I did want to ask you about the traveling because that was pretty interesting too. And you said that you were going to different schools, you know, where you would like they were failing. Like, talk to me about that because that's pretty interesting that you were chosen to do that and then to go to different schools to help them succeed if they were failing. Like, can you walk me through that? So I, um, I was, I really started out as a, um, um, high school principal in Denver. And um, I was young. I was like 34 when I got this job. And then I, that school needed a lot of work. It was just stuck in the past and it needed to be brought into the future. And so I did that hard work. And then we saw like really good results really early. And um, then people noticed that I had done that. And then I was um, asked to come to another school and do it. And then when you do that work, um, it's really difficult because you have to usually pull out a lot of weeds and um, that's uncomfortable for people. Wow. So you're not very loved as a, a turnaround school head. So um, I would go to various different places and do this until I finally got a chance to start my own school. And um, one of the schools I was at was a school in New Jersey, a boarding school for girls who had learning and emotional difficulty. And um, we were in a training with them and um, on how to deal with them educationally. And the training lasted for three weeks. And one day during the training, they gave us this little workshop about, oh, and you can also like figure out what their strengths are and build on those. And I thought, well, that's the whole program. And so I 
wrote a book and I wrote a curriculum about it and I ended up getting that published and getting on a big um, Penguin published it and I went on a big tour and I went around the country. I was on the Today Show. Um, I went around the country speaking about um, building up people's strengths like schools knock kids down. But um, what we should really be doing is building on what not what they're good at, like a strength isn't what you're good at. It's what what turns you on, what puts you in the flow. Mm. So we should help people find out what, what, what their flow is, because once they find that out, they're going to do it because you, you spend time doing what you love. And so um, that's how I ended up. So after that big success, I got to start a school um, in Arkansas, of all places, of, um, and I could make it anything I wanted to. And I wow. and the guy had the guy was a billionaire and he said, you can make it anything you want and, and it doesn't matter what it costs. So I designed wow. I designed a school that was um, it had a maker space and all of the things the kids learned weren't traditional learning. Instead, they it's still going the school. You could look it up. It's probably Delta school. They um, they learn by doing real world projects and real world problems or they tackle to find solutions to them. And so um, I did that for a while. And then I um, ended up back here after COVID. I was at another school during COVID and um, got really isolated and decided it was time to go home. Wow. Wow. That, wow. How did it, like, how accomplished did you feel, though, when you made that school in Arkansas? Because that is... Um... Wow, that's a that, that, I, to me, that's a big deal to me because that's wow. That's one of the bit that that's probably one of the more significant accomplishments of my life. I I believe that I feel very proud of that school. Um, you know, I didn't do it myself. I did it with you know there were the guy who had the money was hugely instrumental in making that happen, and and a great guy. But um, I um, I feel like that made a, a big difference, you know, in, in people's lives. I also felt the book about the strengths. I still get people calling me and saying that how it helped them. So, you know, I feel like I did, I've done, I've done some good things in life. <laughs> wow. No, no, and that's great. I love that. But it's, it's the, it's, it, it, I think what I like about this whole thing too, right? Because you talked about the school in Arkansas and then you talked about how you went to other schools and you went around the world pretty much. And I think one thing that I find interesting, it seems like this, all, like pretty much you got to see culture in different shapes and different forms and different locations, right? Because I know like one culture in one place is different somewhere else. And I think that's what's interesting about that. Um, I wanted to ask you too, what was it about the culture in every place you were? Like if there was one thing that was in common, let's say about each and every one of those cultures, what, what do you think in your opinion would that be? The talk, the why the culture at the school, I, I, the, there's, you know, there's the culture of where I was and, and then there's the culture of the school that made it toxic. And I think what makes a school toxic is when people are afraid of change mm. and, and, and they, they get really comfortable and, and believing in what they're doing is right and there's no different way to do it. And they get very uh afraid of that so that anyone who comes in to try to change things or challenge that they end up 
doing things that are not uh, principled. And wow. so I, I really believe that most cultures that go astray is because there's people within those systems who are acting out of fear and their fear drives them to do really unprincipled things like simple gossip, you know, like uh, gossip and, um, you know, cutting corners and, you know, th things like this that are just not, not, not in good for growth. And uh, that, that's what I've seen in, in most places I've been. Wow. Um, yeah. And people can't see that their, their very fear of growth is what's ruining it for everybody. Wow. No, and I love what you said because, see, I, all right, so I grew up in a Hispanic culture, Hispanic minority-ish culture growing up, especially in school. So the school system back in when I was young, I'm talking about like elementary school, high school, junior high, like like this culture was so different than what it is today, right? And I feel like everything you just told me, like you're giving me another perspective because I, I always saw things in one perspective because I thought it was always toxic because like, for example, right, I feel like even though kids still get bullied today, but I feel like in some aspects is worse. In some aspects, some things are getting done about it where in opposed to back then, they'll do kind of sort of did something about it, but it was never to that degree of, okay, there was some consequences for your actions, right? Because I felt like if I was complaining all the time about someone bullying me, they would let me, okay, like you can't keep complaining all the time. You got like, okay, but you don't want me to fight. You don't want me to defend myself. What do you want me to do then? Like ignore, sometimes ignoring is not easy like that struggle so and i think in that same way you saw what you saw in all these different cultures and you just could not ignore what was going on so you felt that change needed to happen because change is good as long as it benefits everybody in my opinion yeah um and it's i think there's residual benefit to change that people don't realize you know um and again i, I think most of the problems in the world are are really about fear and i think that the general problem in the world is that there's enough for everybody but we don't recognize that and and so there's people who don't have and there's people who have too much and so i feel as though because of that problem you know almost every that's where it all comes from so you know I really believe there's enough for everyone if we did things right. I, I definitely agree with you on that, for sure. So um, I was going to ask if you mind reading a piece from your book so we can give the audience um, an idea of how you write and then we could talk about the piece and stuff. Okay, I'll read this one because it's kind of uh, apropos to the season. Perfect. Um, this one's called Ephemeral. Autumn approaches in the distance. Grief smoke of pinion rides in on the wind. Small comfort for the for inevitable loss. Another summer vanishes, slips away in silence without saying goodbye. Fire licked September's edges, yellow, orange, red, flare deep in leaf veins. 
maple, aspen, elm, ignite in ambivalent blaze. Why is it I feel sorrow whenever something leaves? By October, each day outdoes the last. At its apex, it's downright excruciating, ephemeral flame, like a promise we know will be broken, but we believe it anyway. With sweatered arms, I hug the barrel of bluebird sky, high on incense air, the world too brilliant to bear. Like the spark of first love, knowing it will burn, but we strike the match anyway. I hear the rustle of my destiny. Tomorrow there will be storm clouds and the trees begin to bear their cold arms. Ooh. Wow. One thing that caught my eye is why do I feel, wait, can you repeat that line where it says, uh, when you feel sorrow, you feel bad. Like, can you repeat that line? Oh, it's, it says, why, why is it I feel sorrow whenever something leaves? Yeah, that, oh, that, that is, wow. So this poem was really to me about the the way that in the autumn it's so beautiful. If you live in a place, you know that the colors turn and change and all that. Yeah. There's those those days where it is just so beautiful you can hardly stand it. And I in that moment feel so intense and I also feel so scared because I know it's going to leave. Like I know it's going to get cold and snowy and but there's something about that very moment you know of realizing that you're in this spot that can't last but, mm. yeah that's damn, that's that's actually that's pretty deep right and i think about i think life is like that too right because i i think life always comes in seasons right and uh metaphorically speaking i think it always comes in seasons and um, cause there is a Bible verse in Ecclesiastes 3 where it talks about, you know, seasons and it talks about, you know, there's a time to cry, the time to laugh, time to wage war, the time to not to rage, you know, there's all these things. And I think life is uh -huh. like that in that way where it's like at one season, certain things were good and made sense. But then once that season was over, now I had to go through a transitional season. Because, you know, during this, you know, when, when winter falls, turns into fall, it doesn't just go like that, right? Because when fall, I mean, I meant to say fall turns into winter. So when fall starts changing to go to the winter, I feel like that change is the transitional season because now it has to prepare the earth to endure the winter season, if that makes sense. So I feel like life is that same way too because change is a, such a difficult thing it is such a struggle it is such a th it's just hard right because i got used to fall so whatever that fall season represents for you i feel like once we transition to change changes that transitional season because that means you have to start letting go of some things just so right. you can start going into the next season because sometimes there's certain seasons, there's certain things in the seasons that can't come with you to the next season that you kind of have to leave it there because well, that's why yeah. like uh the, the line the stanza in the poem says like the spark of first love knowing it will burn but we strike the match anyway yeah i love that strike the match anyway oh because wow you know it, it's rare and i have it in my family my brother married his first love and with her happily ever after but that's a very rare occurrence to yeah it's almost like you know that uh 
you know it's not going to work out forever, but you go, you got to go in and do it anyway because, yeah, even if it doesn't last forever, it's worth it doing it now. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's yeah. very important. Uh... I I have a hard time reading poetry out loud because it's really internal for me. So because I read it right, I'm not a. I know that spoken word is a big thing, and my my poetry isn't isn't spoken word poetry, but um, what you don't see is when you hear it without seeing it is where the line breaks are and how the line breaks will, you know, add meaning or add more meaning or add a double entendre or something that, that you wouldn't get if you didn't know. So, yeah. So there's that, that piece no, no, of it. And that's, no, no, and that's it. That makes sense. Yeah. I get, I get what you're saying because um, I can't memorize poems for the life of me. I could try, but <laughs> I just cannot. I'm the guy that has to have the piece of paper. I just hate when like, um, I wish a lot of open mics in person, open mics would do this. And I feel like they don't do this where, you know, not everybody's going to memorize their poems. So why do you make, why do you, why would you not have a podium or a music sheet holder or something to put in front of them so they don't have to hold the paper in their hand? So yeah. in that way they can have better eye contact or when they have the phone on their hand. Cause I've seen open mics online where they're, they're, they're reciting the poetry really, really good. Like very like, Oh my God, you feel it. But it's so embarrassing when they have to have the phone in their hand and they're constantly looking at the phone. It feels really that's interesting you say that because I feel like if they had a piece of paper, it would feel a little more natural than looking at the phone just gives it a weird sort of commercialized or like, <laughs> like, like they just looked it up, right? They didn't really do it or something. It's so, it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it's so true because it's crazy because I'm like, okay, you trying to sell me your phone? Like, or they, like I seen... <laughs> I see one online where somebody had a tablet on them. I'm like, oh man, like this is why places need to have a podium. Like that's why when I, uh, for those who don't know, um, Unraveled Influence is having our first in-person open mic on October 20th. On that's on a Friday. That's next Friday. Um, and um, I that's one thing I told my um Angela. I said Angela, make sure we get a music sheet or po or something so they can put the they could lay the phone down or they could leave the paper on there because to have it in their hand and, and on the mic, I think that's embarrassing. I feel like, okay, let's take notes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think that would be really helpful to people. It's good to think about, you know, how to make it seem better um, and, and break, the, break the mold a little bit. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the event is free if anyone's interested. It's free. But yeah, um, but it's interesting though because I see that I'm just like, oh, I feel so. But I, I still enjoy the piece. But I feel like it's just embarrassing to have that piece of paper because either you're showing me a flyer of advertisement or you're sh trying to sell me your phone. So I look, <laughs> that's how I feel. I'm like, Ugh. like why do these places not put a podium or just something, just some, <laughs> just something like come on, like a sheet, song sheet holder, whatever it is, just just put it. Like come on, like but yeah, but you know, neither here nor there. So um. But I do agree. I feel like when I say if I don't see the poem, like you said, but then you're reading it and you don't see, like you don't see the, like you, you were just saying just now, I think that's awesome that, because then you get a sense of feel 
for the piece as well and you can well, visualize it better as there's, well there's also things that people don't you know get get that are like where a line leaves off and the other line picks up where it stops it changes the meaning of the word and it can mean multiple things and and you miss that because you don't see that line break right so there's there's that that happens when you don't see it on the page right now makes sense makes sense and i do want to ask you about a piece that you had on this book where um called where i belong i wanted to ask you about that okay so I don't know, so if you want to read it and then we can talk about the piece. Okay, great. Thank you. Hold on, let me get that one. Okay. Where I belong. The canyon rises, raspberry ribbon layers, a cake baked in the oven of the noonday sun. Lavender ledges stacked against the blue sheet impossible sky. A hundred million years etched in ancient seawall. Deltas return to dust. Everything evaporates, loses form, and becomes something new and unrecognizable. Rusted cliff face bleeds into crystalline river. Rock returns to water. This is the place of my everything, where my heart sings desert song. Fire, water, earth, sun, the place where I belong. Wow, I love that. Talk to me about that piece because I, I love that, especially the part where it says, this is where my heart sings desert song, fire, water, earth, and sun, the place where I belong. I love that. Can you talk to me about that? Because that, that is, wow, that's deep. So um, there are these fantastic vistas here and canyons. And it's it's just when you look at it, you you realize that this has been here since before people you know this has been here and it's it's been an ocean at one time you know you can see uh little uh crustaceans in in the rock and just to in, to look at it and think that and and to think that all of that time that has passed all those um all those things from 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 going from an ocean to a canyon to eventually that will all crumble down and um that all that whole sense of everythingness in looking just at that canyon and seeing that beauty is really what i i love and the 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 elements fire water earth sun um sun isn't an element but wind didn't really go with the rhythm so i didn't use that word um they're all there and, and and they're all there at once and it i just feel like this is really where when i'm in this place and in this landscape i i can feel all of that right like all the elements all the history of that's been here of man of of landscape of animals of of everything and i i just because there's not many places I've been where I can just look at the scenery and feel that much wow. <laughs> and, and have that much experience. But I, I do when I'm here. And so I feel like, well, if that's how I'm feeling here, then I this is definitely where I belong. 
makes sense. Makes sense. You know what's true? Like, like for me, I feel like there's something about nature though that amazes me, right? Because I love nature, but I also love the architecture of life, right? Like mm-hmm. when I see a building, when I see a skyscraper, or when I see a house built a certain way, especially like in Brooklyn now these days, uh, Woodsburg. Um, so the way they build houses now is not like they used to. It's not like a townhouse anymore. Or like they'll take something that used to be a townhouse. Either they'll demolish it or they'll renovate it the inside and out. And it'll look kind of wacky sometimes. But I yet it fascinates me because I'm like, how did you do it to make it look a certain way, right? Because they'll do this where, oh, well, we have this window, but the window was tilted on purpose. Like that's the way they designed this house. And I'm just like... Wait, what do you mean the window's tilted? Like, that makes no sense. So how does a person supposed to open the window? Like, mm-hmm. sideways? Like, it's it's just weird to me, right? But yet, yeah, it's fascinating because I see all these new things. I see all these new dynamics. And I'm just, like, so... Fa- it's something about the, the, the way it's built. And I feel like life is like that, too. I feel like... It's like that with nature, too, right? Because when nature takes its course, despite all that, then it's like... The fact that these buildings and these things that are built around us, they still stay, right? But in some cl- in some cases, that's not the case. Like, if you live in an area where, like, volcanoes exist, and then whatever you built, the volcano erupts, then it's like, damn, so what you worked hard for gets demolished. Or when you have these hurricanes that exist, it gets demolished, you know? So, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like when that kind of stuff happens, it makes me sad because I always think about the hard work. That the person or the people have put. <laughs> well, that's that's very interesting you say that because that's kind of like this, this foam, you know. It's like everything's always the minute it's there, it's deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, everything will be gone. Sometimes when I when I do so, I, I'm a painter as well, and sometimes when I paint something, I think, what's the use of this? It, it, someday the earth is going to be like a blade a, all on fire and blow up and everything will be gone so like <laughs> what's the use of it what's the use of anything it's all gonna go away right but you know what's crazy <laughs> though but so much shit, because we were talking about change as well it's so interesting how life has changed dramatically right i was talking to another uh poet that they were talking about how everything's at the fingertips now which yeah. is crazy like like back then there was no oh i'm gonna watch a video on youtube it's either you had a portable tv or which which not everybody had one of those or you had a portable dvd player which not everybody had but it existed if you wanted to get it then the phone was in your pocket and then you had a cd player everybody had a cd player or everybody had a cassette player now all this is in one database. Like even right. even infrastructure in that way, I'm fascinated with, right? Like Spotify. Okay, there's all this database. How do you, the hard work they had to do, the coding they had to do to create this app, to l- grab wherever they get their database, database from to get all the music. Like to me, that's fascinating. That is crazy. But then, like you said, it eventually gets messed up. So let's say, like, oh, at least back in the 90s when files got corrupted, that was it. Like, there was no way to retrieve that. Now there's all these softwares to retrieve a file that got messed up. Well, what's really interesting to me about that is that, um, so the architecture part is fascinating. And then it's like, where, where is, so we didn't know, you know, before the, let's just say the iPhone as an example, we didn't know. We couldn't even imagine that, right? Yet 
that whole architecture, that whole idea existed in the universe somewhere before it got into someone's head. And so it's like, what? where's all the things that we're going to invent that we might not see because we won't live that long, mm. that will totally revolutionize life to change it so that we won't recognize that all those ideas are somewhere right now. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like inv- inventions are living in they're living somewhere they're they're not in people and they're not becoming becoming things yet but they're in our universe i think that's really i think that's really a fascinating you know idea no i definitely agree with you on that one because it's so true like i i it's interesting right because somebody told me something interesting i don't know how true this is but they say like all the stuff we have now like the iphones and the you know, all these things that we carry, oh, well, that's been around since since for a longer time than we've been around. We just, we're just hearing about it right now, but I'm like, I guess, like, because they were, they were, trying, <laughs> they were trying to say, like, in the army, this, this is what they had. They just never told Uh-oh. anybody about it. Like, this is... Yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that either, but I've had people tell me that, and I'm just like, okay, but there was never any proof insinuating that. I think the one thing that's true is that I think there were electric cars a long time ago. I mean, I know that. Yeah. There were le- probably as early as the 50s there was an electric car. But uh but I but but they don't you know that was kept from market. But So mm-hmm. I also want to talk about your poetry as far as um fishing the real de pueblo and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Um Yeah, that's right. Yeah, hey, and then the other one La Jicarita, is that how, am I pronouncing Oh, right? La Jicarita, La Jicarita. Okay. Yeah, so New Mexico is a, um, a very diverse, um, heavily influenced by Spanish American, or not Spanish American, Spaniards. Um, so the they, they came here and, um, you know, helped the white man take over. So we have a, the native culture is here, the native tribes are here. And the Spanish were here before the white men, so there's a lot of Hispanics here, and um, that that is La Hicarita is the name of it. Okay, and I understand they um, those two poems won first and second place in the 2020 <laughs> Southwestern Poetry Society. So I just want to know. I want to ask you about that too because I want, I think that's awesome that it won first and second place. Can you talk to me about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I was writing these poems for this book and. Um, I, um, someone said to me, Hey, there's this contest you should enter. And I said, I'm not really in the, I don't like contests very much, but, um, I said, okay, I'll enter. So I entered and then I got an email. I actually won first, second and third place with another poem that is not in this collection. Mm. Um, and, um, I, 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 the, the, the thing was in Arizona or something and they were like, Oh, you have to come over. I got sick and couldn't go, but I got money. (laughs) They paid me like ash for writing poems it was really fun it was funny i i uh i was very surprised and um you know of course i thought well how many poems were in the contest three wow Wow, (laughs) they said there were a lot more but yeah i you know my my poetry it was a it was a southwestern society and so they were looking for theme-based poems on that were theme-based on the southwest and uh those three poems were really pretty much about the local area mm, okay no that's cool that's very very cool and i wanted to ask you about um just your book overall so we, we we covered a lot from this book 
and from your life. And I wanted to ask you, so how did you um, get in contact, as far as like Quote Keepers Press and all that stuff, like how, how did that happen? Well, when I, I had written, I had written enough that I thought, wow, this is a collection. Um, I, I took it to a place where I thought, wow, I, I really want people to read this. I had been putting my poems up on Facebook every now and then. And my friends were all like, this is so good. You have to write a book. We love this. And so when I realized that there was an audience, albeit small, um, I, I thought, well, I'll see if I can get it published. So I sent it out to a number of different places and I had four people, four publishers come back and say, yeah, we'll publish it. But um, Quill Keepers was first, and um, and they are great, by the way. Um, they 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 are just so personable and so nice, and um, we're so lovely about publishing it. And um, one thing happened: I got sick um, after um, it, it came out, and so I'm just actually now starting to promote it more. But I I've also completed a. Um, a series of paintings about Western paintings. And so the book and the paintings I'm putting in sort of a little marketing package together. But um, but yeah, the, the Quill Keepers Press is um, some real fun people over there. They, nice. They are uh, promoting poetry, which is a very, um, not a lucrative business, but it's definitely a uh, riches of the soul, so. No, I definitely agree with you. I, I get you. Yeah. And I said, I'm saying, and I think even though it's not lucrative, but we, we, I think it's, it's like they say about a cause degree. It's not what, it's not what, you, it's not what it gets you, but what's what you could do with it. That's what like one of my cousins told me one time. And I think in that same way with poetry, it's like, it's not what it does for you, but what you could do with it, if that makes sense. And I think you writing this book, right? I look at it as, hey, it's a relatable thing. Hey, maybe this could be a survival guide for somebody that, didn't know that oh somebody else is going through the same thing I'm going through. I look at it like oh wow this is how I feel kind of thing, right? And I think that's what makes it powerful too, right? Because poetry comes in different shapes and forms for sure, but I definitely think like like you said, if we had more that was just poetry based and, and you know really out there, I think you know I I think it could be lucrative. I think it could definitely make an impact for sure. And um, we are heading towards the end. So I always ask everybody this, and I'm gonna ask you now. Um, so once you're not in this life anymore, when somebody hears Jennifer Fox, what is what are the few things you want people to remember you by, and what lasting impact you hope to leave? Well, um, I think that um, I think that the people who know me and some who don't would say that, um, that I'm very generous and I get that from my father. Um, I, I, I give a lot and a lot of, you know, my, if I have money, I give it to people if they need it. If I have things, I give them to people rather than sell them. So I give my home out. Um, and with my art, I'm, that's a giving act as well. So I think that, um, I'd like to be known for that. I was generous that I received great, which is in my life in terms of health and experience and that I am not, uh, I, I turn around and, and share that with other people. Um, so I, I, I'd like to be remembered by being a generous person. And um, I, I hope that, uh, you know, my, 
my artwork survives me in that in the and the writings that I've put out. I, I I think people pick it up and they they get something from it. And um that's really all that matters to me. Amen. 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 Amen to that word. Uh, thank you so much. Um, so again, like I said, we are towards the end. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Jennifer, for trusting us with your story, for allowing us to have this great conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode.